Recording? New recording. We're in a new recording. On January 1st, the year of our Lord, 2022. We made it. Praise God. All right, it's good practice. All right, everybody, Mr. Cole's going to pray, so if you're having a conversation in the kitchen, now it's time to stop and sit down. Uh, we'll be here all night. I might as well have a seat, Eddie. I'm going to sit down right here. Come on, girls. Hey, Grandpa, you know, I ain't going to do it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Father God, you are so awesome and so loving and so kind. We thank you that... You are faithful and true to your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you made a way for us as we walked through life and you were always there with us even when we didn't know it. We thank you for the babies that are uh, uh, being carried uh, by women in our church. And uh, we thank you for uh, good pregnancies, easy deliveries, and healthy babies. Amen. Lord, you are so awesome and so wonderful. And and, and for the baby that... Uh, uh, um, uh, that um, Zach and, and his wife are uh, his wife yes. is carrying, and uh, you're, Lord, you're so awesome and so good and so faithful and so true. We honor you and put you first, and we come here to worship you and thank you for uh, being who you are in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, guys, plenty of room in here for people to sit down. Thank you, Lord. All right. So, it's New Year's Day. And uh, we hadn't always celebrated that on the first, but we have. <laughs> so, when I was contemplating uh, things to share, I thought, well, it'd just be a fun exercise to go through all the words all the Greek and Hebrew words that are translated new in the, in the King James Version. Not the New King James Version, but the King James Version. But that would be new. But there. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, so I, just as a look-see, and uh, it didn't take long for me to find something new. Uh, pun, in, no, no pun intended. I mean, it's like... But um, anyhow, so... Let's go to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, and uh, I was sharing with some, I think it was co-workers, I was sharing with some co-workers about how, um, how difficult it is to, to really get in that headspace of what it must have been like to be around Jesus when he was walking on the earth. Because even when we as believers read the records uh, in the Gospels of Jesus interacting with people, we're, we're kind of on his side mostly, or at least we think we are when we're reading. At least I do when I'm reading. Like, you're, in, you're inside, right? You know the joke. <laughs> you know the story. So when people are, are, are reacting or, over, or overreacting, we, we could stand and go, yeah, there, there goes my Lord. He's doing that thing again. 
And so it's really difficult, in, I think, um, in a gospel film or, or some representation like that to really give the sense, particularly if you're hewing close to the gospel because we're all familiar with the narrative. And um, I don't know, there, there are various ways of being able to um, turn that around. Like, you know, there's overt ways. Like you could say, well, I really don't understand what this is saying. <laughs> just, you know, admit up front that what you thought you knew, you just don't. You know, ask the Lord, teach me something, some new perspective in this. What am I not seeing? What am I not doing? Um, you know, in art and, and other types of creative work, what you're asked to do is to get a different perspective. Like if you're going to draw someone's face, turn it upside down. And you're looking at it differently and you're seeing different shapes and different textures. So we kind of know this interaction, but if, if you lived in a culture where everybody behaved in a particular way and then someone showed up and he says, I'm the authority. Like, he starts off pretty much by kicking tables over. You know, he didn't just do it once. But it's, it's really early in John where he comes in and they're like, whoa, wait a minute, who gave you authority? And, and by what authority? He says, we'll tear this temple down, I'll build it back up in three days. So, I mean, he comes on the scene disruptive. It, it, you know, if you'd grown up around the temple, you'd gone into the temple and every day and every holiday... Um, maybe you went to the money changers. Maybe you saw those animals there. And, and maybe you were blessed by the convenience of all that. It was like, yeah, this is the way it is, right? This is how it... And then this guy comes in and he's, he's forcefully and violently driving livestock out of the temple and kicking tables over. And no one arrests him. <laughs> no one hauls him off in chains. He doesn't get killed by the Levites. And, and so, there's just odd things that happen. Like, you know, um, I'm going to call a bunch of disciples and have them follow me. And the first place I'm going to take them to is a wedding feast. Because that's kind of cool, right? And, and the first thing I'm going to do to demonstrate supernatural power is, uh, you know, change water to wine. Actually, yeah, actually, he didn't even want to do it. He, his mother talked to him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and even that's challenging enough. You know, when you read it, and I don't care what translation you read it in, there's one area where you can kind of go, well, that's not really how I imagined Jesus being. Maybe he didn't talk that rough to his mom. <laughs> Maybe I'm hearing that wrong. I don't know. We're talking about someone who 12, 12, at 12 years old looked at his parents and said, how, do you, how could you not get where I would be? How, how could that be a surprise to you where I would be? Three days, Jesus. Yeah, okay, but... About 30 months later, though, he's telling some guy, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. You know, we're pals, we're buds, I left everything, I'm following you. And, What'd you call me? <laughs> you know? So, anyhow, I, I just all of that, just to kind of get in that headspace, if you can, as we have this conversation, you know? Jesus is hanging out with his peeps, and they just aren't, they're not doing things the right way. Uh, Luke chapter 5, and in verse 36, well, i got to back up. Um, where do they ask the question? There we go. 
and uh, verse 30. I put down 36 to 39. I should have put 30 down. Verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, yours are at the party all the time. You guys are out there eating and drinking. Kind of... Holy man, are you anyway? And um, so his behavior is scandalous and his company is scandalous. Now, we, we have some that are on the verge of raising children. We have some that are uh, in a particular season of raising their children. And, and there's some of us here who have adult children. And... All of us probably um, have or endeavor to offer some sort of confines of growth for our children that include right company and right behavior. <laughs> I don't like that friend. Why are you making friends with that person? Right? Um, yeah, well, our kids aren't Jesus, so you know. <laughs> Right? But, but you, you, you flash that, and I understand that. I understand providing uh, boundaries for your children, but what occurs is that progresses, if we're not careful, into an adult life surrounded by Christian close friends and a Christian workplace and a Christian everything where um, all the salt stays in the shaker. You know? If, if you look, and so then, are you uncomfortable as an ambassador in the world? Or as an ambassador, do you make the world uncomfortable? That's a fair question. You know? And... And Jesus just kind of made people comfortably uncomfortable. Right? You think about the woman at the well. There's so many things wrong with that from, from a societal perspective. Okay? He is um, he is in the he's a single man in the company of a woman. He's a single man in the company of a woman of ill repute. He's a single man in the company of a woman of ill repute who's a Samaritan. Shall we go on? Mm -hmm. He's not chaperoned. He's Jesus. Yeah, I get it. I understand. Um, the, uh, he goes to a party. He's sitting there reclining at the table, eating. And a woman comes to dinner. And he's just sitting there eating, having a conversation with his host. And while he is casually having this conversation, eating food and talking to the gentleman at the table, um, this woman lets her hair down after crying over his feet, breaks open perfume, and gives him a foot rub in the middle of a banquet, right? And then, and then takes her hair and wipes his feet. And he doesn't break a beat. Everybody else is like, what? you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? And, and 
And he's just sitting there going, this is pretty cool. And not only is she a woman who has done the societal um, equivalent of perhaps you throwing a party and you had maybe dirty feet and a woman came to your house in the company of everyone you know and took off her shirt and dried your feet for you. And people would go, whoa, whoa, what's going on? Right? And not only is it a woman at a party who has let her hair down and dried his feet, well, she's been known to be a little, you know, on the wrong track. I'm telling you, he's a bit upsetting. And if we, and if we don't embrace the agitation of Jesus, we're going to have a hard time getting renewed. Because we should be comfortably uncomfortable with him. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, he's he just if he just challenges you in a loving way. I'm not trying to, you know, make him into a boogeyman or a meanie, but he he just looks at this place differently because you know his mind's not like our mind. His ways aren't like our ways, and his perspective is way up there. You know, when asked the question, "Hey, what about that guy who said would never die?" The answer was, they're going to crucify you, so what do you care? Mind your own business. <laughs> I don't get my prayers answered. <laughs> no, I just, I just answered your prayer. You could just like it or not, you know. Is that too rough? So, so right. So, so, so they're like, okay, you don't wash your hands before you eat. You're hanging out with tax collectors. You know, you're, you're, um, uh, you're cooperating with the enemy, right? When... When the Nazis finally got pushed out of France, um, women and men who were, um, who were deemed collaborators with the oppressor wound up having their heads shaved and, and, and marched in disgrace in front of everybody. And even though everybody was kind of cooperating, you know, um, it, uh, I'll digress too far if I go down that road. But this is the same sort of thing. You're, you're like collecting taxes for these guys. You know, you're, you're not, you're hanging out with people who haven't shown up to synagogue in, in, forget weeks, let's talk years. What's going on there? Well, um, you holy people don't need me. Why would I hang out with you? <laughs> you say, now if we recognize we're unholy, well. So where was I? Uh, 33, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from, from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. It's, in the comparative parable, it's like you don't put an unshrunk piece, it'll just tear away from the old one. The bottom line is that the new just doesn't match with the old. And when you try to get the new to match with the old, you wind up ruining the new. 
If I want to put new and paste it onto the old, my new garment's ruined. And that patch, not working. Right? And then he goes on. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. New wine into new wineskins. Now, these wineskins were skins. And a new wineskin was in an old leathery hide from a goat. It was a new supple hide from a goat. Okay? And you put new wine into that new wine skin um, because otherwise you put the new wine into the old wine skin and as it's fermenting, the gas will rupture it. Okay? It'll stretch it out and it'll break. It's not supple enough to receive that new wine. But then he adds the little tidbit that no one... Um, no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, no, that old is good. So, you know, offered, uh, first of all, let me, let me help you here, because new wine may throw you. Um, new wine is what we call grape juice. New wine is fresh pressed juice from the grape. It's Grape juice. So now you can understand. You know, you're sitting there with a 1989 glass of fine Merlot, and you have some of that, and someone says, well, you can have that, or you can have a glass of grape juice. And if you have an adult palate, you're thinking, yeah, no, I'll stick with the Merlot. Right. <laughs> right? And if you started with the Merlot, <laughs> and then you drink the grape juice, you're kind of like, what do I get next? Peanut butter and jelly? I mean, you know, what's going on here? And I think that in, in, um, in hearing of new wine and not reading grape juice, we think of maybe like this year's vintage of fermentation versus freshly crushed out fruit juice really fresh, really vital, really new, right? Sweet and, and energizing. And um, so the impacts, and I haven't done a, you know, I just had today. So I didn't even get through all the words for new in the Old and New Testament. Forgive me. So I certainly didn't do a research project on the impacts and effects of fresh squeezed grape juice versus fermented wine. But you could draw your own conclusions, right? <laughs> so, old, the new, can replace the old, but it cannot repair the old. And the old can't contain the new. You got to be renewed. On the night he was betrayed, he took the cup. Matthew 27, verse, uh, Matthew 28, verse 27. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, 
Is this 28 or 26? I think it's 28. It might be 26. I was typing fast today. You can find it. It's in Matthew. That's the verse. Saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine. So now both grape juice and wine are fruit of the vine. And at the end of his earthly ministry and the establishment of the new covenant, Jesus used fermented wine to represent his blood. His then pre-Calvary, born of Mary, life. Right? And that was poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And just like alcohol uh, has a, is it astringent? Is that the word I'm looking for? Anyhow, antibacterial, cleans wounds, has a lot of, you know, it, it, it does a lot of things, but it, it doesn't um, particularly sustain life in that sense. It's medicinal in a different way. You know? So, he says, look, after this, after this, I'm not drinking of the fruit of the vine. Remember when they, 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 they lifted up the sponge mm-hmm. and they, they tried to give him a sock? He refused it. I'm not drinking of the fruit of the vine. No painkiller on the cross, by the way. Until they gave him gall. And then it was like, yeah, well, i got to fulfill prophecy, right? But no painkiller on the cross. Fruit of the vine, to the day when I drink it, how? New. New. New in my Father's kingdom. New. Now, this new, uh, the word is, um, the nuance of this word is uh, qualitative. It's not temporal. It's not like, okay, I'm going to drink it when we go to heaven and squeeze new fresh juice out. It's new as in, I'm going to drink the wine of heaven, which is so much better than this cup I'm serving you. When I drink this new wine, this new wine that I'm going to drink in heaven is so much better than any... Um, release you might get from the happy cup. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of um, quasi-remembering my, my Passover ceremonies here. But it's the, the cup of Thanksgiving, this, this cup of Thanksgiving which we bless in the Passover meal, that's either the third or fourth cup of the night. They've been into the cups is what I'm saying. So this is, you know, it's a party. <laughs> you know? Um, it's a remembrance and it's a celebration. They've had some wine, right? Another round of toast. Another round. And then and on that, that third cup or whatever, he shares his third cup. And he says, what, what's coming, what we're going to drink in the kingdom, uh, when, when you're all with me, it so far surpasses the quality and grade of this, you just, you just won't believe it. Mm-hmm. Right? And drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
And so there is a portioning, if you will, of this new wine in the believer's life in the here and now, the kingdom wine. The kingdom juice, if you will. We'll give you the juice, you know. <laughs> so, but before we kind of look at that some more, let's gotta look back a little bit more. So let's look at Jacob's blessing. You know, Jacob um, sneaks in and and fools his father, and his father still speaks a word of prophecy. So even though he is deceived in the senses, the Spirit of God is not. So what God speaks is still true. Does that, that make sense? Yeah. Right? So let's read this after I drink a sip of coffee, which isn't wine. <clears throat> Genesis 27, verse 27. So he came near and kissed him, and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Watch these words from Isaac. See, the smell of my son is, at the, is as the smell of a field. The smell of a field the Lord has blessed. And why is that significant? Genesis chapter 3. Bless you. Genesis 3. <laughs> Sorry about that, brother. Verse 17. <laughs> this is God speaking to Adam. And, and to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground from what out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you'll return. God didn't curse Adam. He cursed the ground. He cursed the serpent. He didn't curse Adam. And, and let's not make a global statement about, you know, you're in trouble, husbands, if you listen to your wife. That's that was... <laughs> He, it, was the, it was the wrong thing he listened to, not because he listened to his wife. God forbid, I'd be a dead man if I didn't listen to my wife. Mostly because she would have killed me. No. <laughs> so, but when he blesses, when, when, see, Abraham's blessing to Isaac, Isaac's blessing to Jacob, and Isaac is handing this blessing over to Jacob, and what is blessed for Jacob? The ground is blessed. Because of my favor, you're going to live outside of the curse. Because of my favor, the thorn and thistles thing not happening with you. Remember, Isaac was the one that God prospered hundredfold. When Jesus talked about getting return, you know, 40, 60, hundredfold, <coughs> Isaac is the hundredfold poster child, Right? Ooh, I got a seed. Ooh, I got a fortune. What do I do with it? I'll, oh, I got another fortune. Okay. You know, that's Isaac. And so Isaac's imparting this blessing because, okay, may God give you, verse 28, of the dew of heaven 
and of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. And this is the blessing. We've gone over this blessing time and time again. But what I want you to see here is the dew, the grain, and the wine. The dew, the grain, and the wine. So dew is watering from God, and it's blessing. And I, I've listed Exodus 16, 13 through 14. You know, manna came like dew from heaven. And when it lifted up, it looked like frost, but it was food, right? And um, whenever you see a watering from God, uh, one prime thing that's there is the, the agent of God's blessing is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, that God showers down the Holy Spirit and this blessing. And so in these verses, Deuteronomy 33, verse 28, and you can look these up, Psalm 133, 3. This dew, so he's blessing Jacob with the dew of heaven, with the blessing and favor of God through the agency of the Holy Spirit. The grain, the grain from which comes the bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This was the lesson of 40 years of manna. Manna that came down like dew. The lesson was that You don't live for bread. You live for my bread. And the final lesson was Jesus said, I am the bread of heaven. Not that manna that Moses gave your forefathers in the wilderness. I am the bread of heaven. Be blessed with the Holy Spirit and the bread of Jesus, which makes us one body, which was broken for our healing. Not old scaly skins that break with new wine, but new supple, blessed skins that hold it. And then he gives them wine and wine. And this wine isn't, when are we going to get there? I'm tired. It's not that wine. No. <laughs> That's not the wine, said. The wine, yeah, yeah. The wine is the Hebrew word tirosh, and it is grape juice. It's fresh pressed new wine. He blesses. Jacob with dew, grain, and grape juice. And maybe, maybe if, if, um, if Edom was there, he might have gone, yeah, glad I missed that one. I like my wine. <laughs> grape juice? You always were the kid brother, you know? <laughs> um, but no. So you see this blessing. Dew. Grain, new wine, fresh pressed is, is the blessing uh, given to Jacob. Well, wine shows up very early in Scripture. You know, fermented wine, which is a different word. There, there, there are two words in the Hebrew. Um, one is yayin, which is fermented wine. It shows up very early in the record uh, when, you know, Noah gets drunk. And, and then um, Ham does whatever it was he did. And, and so it shows up real early. It shows up soon thereafter. It doesn't have a good rep, what I'm saying, you know. Lot gets drunk, and then next thing you know, you got Moabites and, and, and the, uh, what's the other one? The Amorites, which were his incestuous sons through his daughters. 
Okay? So, um, Micah 6.15 has these two terms used in the Old Testament that refer to fermented or forms of fermented grape juice. And I could find Micah in my King James, but this little small guy, there he is. Okay. Uh, Micah 6 and verse 15. We read, you shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. And, and the words behind that, the, the, tread, the treaded grape is basically this, this tirosh, and drink wine is this yayin. So as opposed to this blessing, when, when, you're, in, when you're in time out from God, you know, Anointing oil and and the fresh wine is just not there, right? But I just wanted to, I wanted you to see that. Now in the King James, those are translated. First of all, you understand that this tirosh and yayin are both translated wine, so it's difficult to see what we're talking about. Where you might be thinking, well, it's all wine and it's all good, um, but it, it, they're two different words. And the other one is strong drink, strong drink. Now. They didn't really have rye back in the day, but they had, you know, brandyish type drinks, uh, more potent forms of wine, okay, through, uh, through ancient distillation processes. And that's, that's a different word as well. That's sakar. So yayin and sakar, wine, fermented wine, and strong drink. And, and there are cautions in Scripture regarding them. Uh, uh, there are also some prohibitions, but there's not outright prohibitions. In other words, I, I believe that when Jesus turned water to wine at the wedding feast of Cana, the, all these wedding guests who had been drinking old wine didn't all of a sudden get this created wine and go, oh, we like the grape juice better. That didn't happen. Jesus, Jesus himself said, look, no one drinking old wine uh, is going gonna, is gonna to go for the grape juice. They're going to keep the old wine. But the, the lesson is, is that we're comfortable we're more satisfied with the old. We're not really satisfied with the new stuff. You know, the new st- we'd, we'd rather, yeah, give me some of that old-time religion, mm-hmm. you know. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, that's the month of Abib, which was the seventh month in their calendar at the time. God says this month, this seventh month, I think it was the seventh month, um, it's going to be for you the beginning of months now. I'm going to flip your calendar around. Okay. Now the last time that happened for English-speaking peoples was in 1751, where New Year's Day moved from something like March 25th to January 1, by official Congress, or by official Parliament. I understand April Fool's Day was for those that celebrated the New Year back in the old time. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. April Fool. Give it that Gregorian thing, you old, old timey Julian, you. Um, so, <clears throat> anyhow, here God sovereignly flips the calendar around. He tells his enslaved children. From this point forward, 
I want you to view this month, Nisan or Abib, um, the first month. This is the beginning of the year. And it shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And so we get the institution of Passover. On the, they, they start the year, it's New Year's Day, quote-unquote, and, and ten days later, ten is the, uh, is the number for law <laughs> and the number of the tithe as well, and, and then they choose the lamb, and then on the fourteenth day, you know, they sacrifice that Passover lamb, and they paint their lintel, and they paint their doorposts, and the angel passes over. And as we all know, it's a picture of the crucifixion. It's a picture of, it's exactly what John was saying when he looked and saw the dove land on Jesus and come down in cruciform, right? And land on Jesus and not move. And then uh, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the Holy Spirit had landed on him and abided. So God ordained that Passover redemption should mark the start of the year. So our calendar, our Gregorian calendar, really has no true relationship uh, with the Jewish festal calendar. It just doesn't. But we need to understand the society we live in and and it, it's it's uh it's fairly difficult you know you can have a very healthy fish and and a somewhat messed up fish but if they're in the same uh tank they're in the same water right <laughs> it's the same temperature it's got the same food someone's given the the culture my point of this is that the culture influences us and impacts us you know they're they're all uh, kinds of challenges and our expectations and even celebrations that we face with regard to a new year coming. Well, instead of necessarily examining everything you think you're not doing correctly yet and want to change, I think that's a big deal on culture, right? What's your new year's resolution? You know? um, uh, remember what it was supposed to have been last year? I don't know. But, but these kinds of things where you know, there's an expectancy of, um, of a change by date of calendar change, right? For instance, you know, Y2K was the big deal. It was a millennial change, you know, and all kinds of crazy stuff was going on. All the computers, it's going to be the computer apocalypse, right? All the chips weren't going to talk to each other, and our modern society was going to crash, and we all became uh, quasi-preppers for a little bit. That's pretty much what jaded me on the whole process. And... Um, and then, you know, in that time period, I, I read a book, and, and lo and behold, what I found out was, we're not that different, because when, when, it, when it turned to the first millennium, year 1000, Christians went through the same thing. There were all these societal expressions of expectancy, of Messiah's return, of calamity, of, oh my goodness, it's, it's because yesterday was one calendar date, and tomorrow's another calendar date? But yeah, yeah. So all that to say is that culture influences us and impacts us. And so uh, setting goals, I think, is a good thing. Um, you know, reflection, I think that's good too. But how about we start a year 
Like God says, start a year. How about start the year with a reflection on redemption? With a provision of the Lamb. With the blood of Christ that makes the angel of destruction pass over. Amen? With freedom from bondage. With walking dry shod across an ocean. With seeing your enemies drowned. That's a pretty good start of the year. Yeah. I like that. That's a good... Beginning of the nation. Yeah. Yeah. So, starts are not bad. And just, you know, offering some perspective, I guess. So, in this Old Covenant, um, this is what the Lord said to Aaron and to his sons in Numbers chapter 8, verse 7. And you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil, and you shall serve. And I give your priesthood as a gift, and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. Your priesthood is my gift to you to serve others. Anybody else trying to do this job, going to die. There are presets and predispositions from be blessed, be fruitful and multiply, and subdue and have dominion that reverberate throughout the whole human family. And there are a host of unrenewed, unrecreated human beings who out of their preset blessing from Creator God have endeavored to be priests to others and it just brings death. Because they're not qualified. It brings death to their communities and it brings death to them, ultimately. It brings bondage. It brings blindness. It brings all kinds of things. And it's, it really winds up being, because I could hear some saying <laughs> in my head, that, well, you know, don't you think, like, if you had, uh, haven't you heard stories of maybe some real devoted uh, uh, Buddhist priest that, that helped out his community and did all these kinds of things? How about the Dalai Lama? Isn't that good? Yeah, it's kind of like, a, you know, an old piece of cloth on a new garment. Or a new piece of cloth on an old garment. It's a band-aid that doesn't stitch the wound to clean it. And ultimately, it doesn't match, it rips, tears, it falls apart. Right? And, and so, the priesthood was given as a gift. And along with this gift of priesthood, look what God gave Aaron and his sons. Verse 12. All the best of the oil... And all the best of the wine, and all the best of the grain. And the first fruits of what they give to the Lord, I give to you. The first ripe fruits of all that is in their land, which they bring to the Lord, shall be yours. Everyone who is clean in your house may eat it. The priest was given. The best anointing, the best grape juice, and the best bread. Do you think that's why Samuel was so fat? <laughs> it, it was, was it, was it Samuel? It was, um, 
No, it was Eli. Eli, Eli. Eli. yeah, Eli. yeah. Well, he was fat because their sons were, were like like taking more than their portion and the fat. They 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 would take their hooks into the cauldrons of the offering. And they would tell them not trim the fat. We get all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 obese dad said you shouldn't do that. And can I have a bite? Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So. And the fruit, the fruits for your family to eat. You get some of that fresh fruit. I'm a firm believer that a new believer's fresh fruit is for the family, not for the world. Mature fruit. When the believer's matured, you know, they bring their peace and they bring their love and they bring that, that becomes consumable for the masses. Well, that's a side note. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We're priests in the new covenant. And Jesus' doctrine... His manner of doctrine. And when we say doctrine, I've shared this oftentimes, you know, I, I tend to classify doctrine in my head as an intellectual construct more than a behavioral construct. But Jesus' doctrine, you know, like he kicked demons out and they said they're amazed at his doctrine because with a word, he cast demons out. That's an action. That's not a, that's not a thought. That's not a tenet of faith. So doctrine, Jesus' doctrine was how he lived. And how he lived was new wine was fresh squeezed, poured out wine that gave life. And that new wine, that true doctrine of the kingdom, is what is your birthright as a chosen, gifted priest in the household of God. The best oil, we got the best oil. We didn't get an anointing upon that we could send our way out of. We got the sealing within that abides forever. Amen? Amen? So, um, the best grain, we didn't get the manna in the wilderness. We got the bread from heaven. And the best wine. We not only got the old wine, the poured out blood of the Lamb of God on the cross, we got the new wine. The living blood of Jesus of Nazareth resurrected and sitting on the right hand of God. That's pretty exciting news for a new year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome stuff. Ephesians, let me back up here before I go into Ephesians. With regard to old wine and strong drink, God told Aaron... The Lord told Aaron, He said, look, you and your sons aren't supposed to drink any wine or strong drink when you go into the temple. Um, I think that's Leviticus 10. Let me see if I can find this. Leviticus 10 and verse 9. 
verse 8. And the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Drink no wine or strong drink. Those are those two other words, yayin and shikar. That's fermented wine and, you know, extra proof fermented wine or whatever, right? Strong drink. Uh, drink no wine or strong drink, you or your sons with you, when you go into the tent of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. Here is the problem with drunken priests. The problem with drunken priests is they begin to lose track of the clean and the unclean, the holy and the unholy. And you remember Aaron's two sons that got blown out of the temple or the tabernacle? Crispy critters, right? The implication is, uh, which is a lesson for another day, which may or may not happen, but the implication is, is that, well, they've been into their cups. Alcohol um, obscures judgment. I was reminded I was doing my, uh, my yearly book report for my blog and, uh, and, and Malcolm Gladwell is talking to strangers. He, he talks about alcohol. The, the, the common, I even shared this common concept with my daughter the other day of alcohol is, is that it breaks down societal barriers quickly so people can get to know each other better, faster. You know, I, I, I've, I've had friends who've lived their life on that principle, you know. He's dead. Um, but... It, it, it's, it's this thing that, you know, we can we could just kind of like loosen things up a little bit and then we can have a real heart-to-heart -heart talk. There's some truth to that, but it's not actually what, what alcohol does. Um, alcohol doesn't let you speak your true self. Alcohol changes who you think your true self is. Your true self is this, is this character your character, your person, um, who walks these tensors between the allowable and disallowable. All these judgment calls we make through life, you know, when, when we endeavor not to hurt somebody's feelings or do the right thing or all this kind of stuff. That, that is your true self. And alcohol, by its effect on the prefrontal cortex and, and, and has these impacts on your judgment, then all of a sudden, um, and it's where, where there are two competing ideals. The example he uses is that Okay, say you're a comedian, say you're a world-class comedian, and you stand up on stage and, and people laugh and, and, and you're funny, uh, you know you're funny, the world knows you're funny, and you get drunk, there's no conflict there. You know you're funny. Okay, but say you're not a world-class comedian, and, and now you're drunk, and that joke you never would have told your friend, well now, see, you really think you are funny. So it, he says alcohol isn't, revelatory, it doesn't give you insight into your true self, it's transformational. It impacts who you really are. And so, our priesthood is a gift from God to serve others. And, and He has equipped us to do that with the best oil, His best anointing of the Holy Spirit from Jesus who had it all poured on Him, right? The best bread, the bread from heaven, broken for us, right? And the best wine, kingdom doctrine, 
Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cause the blind to see, the deaf to hear, cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. All of those functions of our priesthood are compromised by drunkenness. Okay? So, the prohibition in the Old Covenant was, look, you don't drink wine, don't go in the tent. Plain and simple. Don't act like a priest when you're in your cups. You're still a priest, but if you go in that congregation and you're Okay, but, but I wasn't drunk. I could take two or three. Ain't the point. I'm not going to give you the opportunity, right? Make sense? Okay, so now let's talk about New Testament priests. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine. I could put a period there. God didn't. He didn't put a comma there either, but the grammar did. Okay? Look, it doesn't say, do not drink wine. It doesn't say that. It says... Don't get drunk on wine. So, the New Testament saint has no business being inebriated. Period. You know? Do you have the freedom to get drunk? Sure you do. <laughs> you got the freedom. Um, it can cost you a lot. For that is debauchery. So, it, it just opens up so much destruction in your life. It's not worth it. But God's offering is be filled with the Spirit. Not drunk in the Spirit. If you took this verse and you read, be drunk in the Spirit, then maybe you've been drinking wine. Now, I understand, I understand the doctrine of being drunk in the Spirit. And I understand people who have experienced it. But this verse doesn't say, be drunk in the Spirit. It says what? Be filled with the Spirit. Matter of fact, it's not making a comparison of being filled with the Spirit to being drunk with wine. It's making a contrast, a very sharp contrast, between the inebriating dysfunctioning, debauchering of drunkenness and the equipping, fulfilling, sobering of the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Amen? Amen? Those are all the slides I had. Anyhow, um, not really earth-shattering stuff, but really cool. And um, I never knew before... Uh, knew, that's K-N-E-W. Um, so <laughs> I, I never knew uh, that there was so much grape juice in Scripture because I always read wine and thought wine. And, and yet, it's really neat to see this distinction what Jesus gave you in kingdom new wine comes from the throne of God, not the foot of Calvary. Now, no Calvary, no throne. I get that. But if we're living in Calvary, 
We're hanging on to old skin, not a resurrected Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen.